Hello and welcome to Map Bites, episode 88. I'm Elaine Giles and I'm here with my co-host, Mike Thomas. In this episode, we discover that every creative cloud has a silver lining. But first, we heard from lots and lots of you. First of all, Carrie. She sends her Christmas regards. Now, if you're doing what she's doing, which is listening in reverse, listen to 87, not listen to 86, that may make little or no sense to you. I thought it was very brave of her. I wonder how many quips she'll make sense of. You could try watching 24 in reverse. Oh, no, that would make no sense at all, would it, Mike? No, not at all. Talking of 24, we heard from Minster. Shocking news that Minster Base Camp is also a Rupert-free zone. Disaster. So, where next for Operation Jack? Well, many of you, and thank you very much, suggested something called Now TV, which, as I was typing it, became Now TV. Very northern there, isn't it? Definitely. You'd hear that on Corrie or Brookie or Emmerdale. In fact, if the, if the V was five, it would be Now 5. Now 5, yes. Now, we should explain this for all our foreign listeners. Do you think they know that Now means nothing? I doubt it. Uh, Nout means nothing in in northern slang. So, um, yes, Nout V. Or, uh, yes, Now TV, that was what we were talking about, wasn't it? Uh, Yes. (laughs) It's me, I can't type. Uh, It must have been the the near miss the keyboard suffered last week. Uh, Well, I explained this to Minster because uh, I thought it was quite a bargain. But no output to Apple TV, which was a killer for Minster. But I did find after that, as I was doing more research, that you can actually buy a, a set-top box for this Now TV thing at, for £10, which seemed a remarkable bargain because it also includes a HDMI cable. And as a lot of the reviewers pointed out, the cable would probably cost you more than £10. So um, it's a small white box thing. £10, not bad. We don't need one. No TV. But it could solve Minster's problem. Uh, then I found a couple of pieces that explained that you could hack this box. It was like a games hack. That would mean nothing to you, would it? No. No. Don't do games. It was when you had like um, secret codes that you could enter into a game and you could hack the things. So this Now TV box, or the Now 5 as we're calling it, can be hacked and um, it can work as a whole media station for £10. Shame we've not got a TV. That sounds quite interesting. Should we go and buy one? No, I'm not that desperate. (laughs) (laughs) You've seen the rubbishes on TV. (laughs) Um, You can get the entertainment package, which is what we would need for 24, for £4.99 a month, and there's no contract. So you do need um, a Skype account, a Skype account, a Sky account of some description, which I already have an old one. So I think that will do. Some kind, I guess it's like an Apple ID, isn't it? It's your Sky ID. Yeah. They know everything about you, especially your credit card details. But you don't have to take it for 12 months or 18 months. You can just do it month to month. And you don't need the box to make it work. So for, for a TV-less household like ours, works on a Mac, works on PC, iPad, iPhone, Android. It does need Silverlight to run on, on a computer. I don't have that installed, do you? I do. Uh, no, I didn't. Which is odd because... You're watching it on mine then, won't you? Well, I do have Office and I expected it to get installed with that, but no, it's completely separate. But a lot of these TV things need Silverlight. I know uh, Amazon streaming video thing does as well. So um, if you're watching on a computer, so you want, you know, full screen experience, you're going to need Silverlight. But other than that, um, that, that should work. So I think we'll do that. What do you think? Yeah, actually, there's a very nice 19-inch telly in uh, Costco the other week. Yeah, but we'd have to knock a wall down. Ah, yeah, true. 19-inch. Who could possibly want to watch that? Well, not me. No, not for me. No, I watch on my iPhone and my, and my iPod Touch, and I'm fine with that. You know, if there's something I want to watch, I think the picture quality is fantastic. And I very, very seldom actually do sit down and do nothing at all but watch any kind of programme or film. I might put something on, but I'll be doing something else at the same time. I'm thinking literally in the last five years, probably the the only two situations where I'll sit and watch something is either it's 24, absolutely love it, or it's one of those foreign things like Borgen or The Killing. And you've got to read the subtitles. Well, yeah, because my Danish isn't isn't what it could be. (laughs) I, I'm not. I've, I know some Danish words now. I am learning, but very slowly. Not not too good at languages, unless they're computer languages. But other than that, I don't actually sit and watch. So no, a 90-inch TV would do me no good at all. 90-inch computer monitor, and then maybe you're talking. 
Anyway, back to Minster. Minster was last seen taking a second run at 87 in the relative safety of his office. Spoil sport. Yes, I'm going to need something much more dangerous to impress me, Minster. We also heard from Dan with a leading question for you about the new Mac. He said on podcast 5 out of 7, that's what he was on, does the iMac 2011 incident not put you off Apple products? Big outlay only to get a lemon with a denial response. Can't argue with that, really. So short answer, yes. But if Windows is the alternative, then there really is no alternative. (laughs) But it did make me seriously think about building a Hackintosh. I'm sure most people think in in passing, hmm, could could do that. And then come to your senses and you just buy one. But no, this time I did stop and seriously think about whether I should take the time and build one. Um... The only problem with that for me, I've done it before with PCs, so I've got no problem actually putting the bits together. That isn't an issue. But it's bad enough when you're putting Windows on something that was made to run Windows. But if you're trying to put something on it that it wasn't intended to run in the first place, then it could be a time sink to build it. And then if there are any slight updates, that could break something. So you've got a time sink to build it and a time sink to maintain it. For me, it's a working machine. Without it, I don't work. It's as simple as that. So I really need to spend the time that I have working and not nursing the hardware, which way back at the beginning of MacBytes, I'm sure I said that was one of the things that when I moved to a Mac, I really enjoyed, that I no longer felt the need to nurse the hardware as much as I did. You know, patches. I don't know with Windows, I always felt bits were dropping off the computer as well. You know, like the DVD would break or the graphics card would go. And virtually every day I had a screwdriver in my hand trying to fix something. And it, it wasn't like that with the Mac. Yeah, and the, the side panel. Yeah, the side panel virtually, well, it lived off it, didn't it? I remember, I, remember yeah. I did have one machine and I took the side panel off and it was off that often. That I put, I thought, well, I'll leave it off until I'm sure that it's working. And when when I thought, right, it's okay now, couldn't find the side panel, no idea where it went, so it stayed like that then. But um, I would certainly think about building a Hackintosh as a side project. If I did that and it went well, then I, I would maybe reconsider buying a kit from Apple in the future because of that. I've got the Apple Care, so I'm not too bad. I haven't sent it back yet, so I don't know what their response is. I would seriously expect them to fix it because, you know, I can take pictures of the state that it's in. I would do video as well because that was the only thing that got me through the last Apple Care repair. So I know what to do to get, you know, to stand the best chance of getting them to fix it. But I have to agree with him that, you know, no, it's not great. No, to, to the fact they've put something out that's obviously got a problem and then denying it for people without Apple Care, I do think is incredibly poor form. For me, that's got to be a future project because right now I need a fully working Mac and that was why I did what I did. But excellent question, Dan. And yes, it did make me think about the future and where my money will be going. Yeah, good question. And um, we also heard from Evie who has caught up with the Mac by 7, loved it, and went back to refresh herself about Cloudon, which was on Mac by 67 in June 2012. Which was when she got the shock of her life. As she was looking through the show notes and clicking the links to read about Cloudon, she found a link and clicked on it and was faced with a nude and hairy minster. Remember that one? I don't remember that one. But, Click the link. Um, the if link's anybody there. wants to it's see. There. Yes, if anybody wants to see a nude and hairy minster, then uh, go and look at Matt by 67 show notes. His modesty was covered with a big sign that says, is it next week yet? <laughs> it, it's worth looking at. It is. That's minster off his bike now. You know, he's probably forgotten that. It was definitely worth seeing. And we heard from Graham as well, who said he loved the MacBytes two-way with me and Kevin. That was big in VA. And um, now all he needs is more notes. Mm. I don't really need more notes, do I? No. I need to process the notes I've got and get on with stuff. But talking of OneNote and note-taking, we also got, got an audio file this week. Love audio files. Uh, yep, it was from Dave Allen, and uh, he mentions about ooh, every text editor on the planet, I think, doesn't he? But I'm saving it. Dave, your moment will come. But I'm saving it for when Kevin returns and we complete our deep dive on OneNote for the Mac, because some of the points you make are really on bang on point. Um, 
He did say, did Dave? It really depends on what sort of notes you're making. And I don't know if we made that point, did we? I don't know. I don't think we did. But uh, he did make some great points. So looking forward to that one. And we also heard from Lee, who said, seven Matbike podcasts in seven days. Great. Can't get enough. Thanks, Elaine and Mike. And uh, from Tim as well, who had a suggestion for you. It was an idea for your PowerPoint to video issues. And um, must admit, Tim, I thought of this as well, but I thought I won't ask. It could open a can of worms. But you asked, so that's great. Uh, you can open the can of worms. He made the suggestion that couldn't you have exported the slides to images and then used a video editor to put the whole thing together? I'm assuming particularly because you had the audio file already recorded. Yeah, that did actually cross my mind. So, yeah, it's a great point, um, Tim. What I did think about doing was exporting them from PowerPoint, or was it Keynote? PowerPoint, I think it was. Dumping them into ScreenFlow and then dropping them on the timeline. But the problem was that I would need to listen to the audio and then either drag and drop them in live and put them on the timeline or put a marker in and then go back and drag and drop them in at the appropriate place uh, but some of these slides were only on screen for two or three seconds it was quite a fast moving uh, video so i actually found it easier to to do what i did which was to listen to the audio play the slideshow back live recording it and then just move on to the next slide doing it live but yeah great great idea and it, it did cross my mind one of the things that i always think about if what i'm doing is slide based is I guess pretty much everybody uses ScreenFlow if they're recording their screen on a Mac because, you know, it's, it's the most popular. It's also just been on the Mac Heist bundle, so $20 and you're sorted. But there is an alternative in uh, Camtasia. And Camtasia does an awesome thing when what you're recording is a full-screen PowerPoint or Keynote. As you're sitting there just going through it, so I do a live session for an hour, and I have slides at the beginning and slides at the end. And sometimes uh, I do change the slides for the video. So not very often. It doesn't happen that often. But sometimes I, I will. And the other time that I will make a change to, to the slides is, you know, when you've done um, a gradient on a slide and it looked great in design view and then you've broadcast it and it looks hideous. Mm. You know, the quality, the quality issue in the broadcast. Obviously, the local copy is much better. So sometimes I do change out a slide because of a gradient. And what Camtasia does is it puts a marker automatically on the timeline every time you change slides. No idea how it does it, but it is actually a really good feature because if you wanted to do what Tim was suggesting and you, you did record the video, but then you wanted to use the graphics instead, it would give you the markers. I wish ScreenFlow did that, but it doesn't. That's a trick for Camtasia there. Cool. And Fraser also sent his uh, thanks for the MacBite 7. And as Fraser has said previously, he lives in Aberdeen, which reminded me of a funny little story from earlier this week involving you. Involving me, yes. Mm. Uh, it appears that reading out of all McJim's comments over the years has finally paid off. I received some feedback from a customer this week on a video tutorial that I'd created at work and she said, loved the Scottish accent. <laughs> Tell the trainer I could listen to him easily for the 30 minute video. <laughs> Classic. Did you do it in, in the style of McJim? No. Oh, that's a great shame. No. The lady in question was American, and I must admit that I can't tell the difference between different American accents, so I'll forgive her on this occasion. I've got this image of you in a kilt now. Really? Mm. Uh, Let's move on. Yeah, well, I think we should. Mm. So big thanks for all your feedback. We've still got a backlog of feedback to go through and uh, some great suggestions for apps and other stuff that you'd like us to cover. So uh, no shortage of content for future shows. I'm just going to let that thought dangle there for a bit. Yeah, that'll do. And um, yes, catching up on something else. We talked about Office for iPad and uh, this week... There was an Office for iPad uh, Reddit AMA session. Don't I sound like I know what I'm talking about? Mm. I have no idea what a Reddit AMA session is, apart from it's, ask a, me it's an Ask Me Anything session. Yes, but I don't know how it works. It seemed to be a complete free-for-all. It wasn't a concept I was familiar with, but it seemed to be a text-based chat thing. And what appeared at the top of it, it didn't seem to go chronologically. Uh, you seemed to vote up certain questions and then they went to the top. 
Some of them were hysterically funny. And some of them were not safe for work. Well, yeah, they were probably the funny <laughs> ones. Uh, the prize had to go to the questioner who asked, and this this was, um, who, who was hosting this was Reddit, but the people there were the Office for iPad team from Microsoft. And uh, the questioner asked if Microsoft were going to bring Microsoft Paint to the iPad. That'd be cool. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, my first thought was you've got to be joking. And my second was, do you know what? That could actually work. Yeah. Yeah, uh, they didn't dismiss it out of hand. So be afraid. Be very, very afraid. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. It is actually well worth a read. Um, they seem like a good bunch of people. Uh, great sense of humour. And um, they didn't kind of ignore the questions that, that were a little bit on the silly side. Uh, Clippy got a mention, you know, whether they bring Clippy to, to Office for iPad. Wasn't it called something else on the Mac? Uh, wasn't it called Max? MAX. Yes, that's right, yes. Max. I believe it was much better on the Mac, but I never saw it on the Mac, I'm afraid. So it was a little helper assistant. There was a dog as well. No idea what that was called. Maya. Oh no. <laughs> no, there was a cow, but that, that was in PowerPoint, wasn't it? I don't I don't think that was that was a clippy. It was a cow that turned into a dog, or vice versa. Let's not go there. No, let's not talk about PowerPoint. No, but it is actually well worth a read. So some nice interesting snippets in there. And um another mention for Microsoft, they're doing quite nicely in the Mac world at the minute, aren't they? Uh this time it was the OneNote for Mac team. And they've put up a video, which is a parody of One Day More from Les Mis. Absolute classic. You said to me, are they actually singing this? Yeah, the lip sync didn't seem right. Well, it never does on YouTube, does it? I think they were. But it was very, very funny. I, I thought as I'm watching it, I can't see Johnny I or Tim making one of these anytime soon. Which I thought was a real shame, you know. Can you imagine them rolling out the iWork team and making them sing? Can't see that, you're right. Oh, great shame, really, because they can't code either. But I'm not going there. I'm not getting upset about iWork this week. No good will come of it. Uh, also, something I can really get my teeth into this week, something I'm not pleased about. Heartbleed. If I see one more password change request, I will go mad. Um, I think the first one I got was from um, If This Then That. Closely followed by Ustream, then Tumblr and Tuts Plus. Have you noticed some services are noticeable by their silence on this matter? I have, yes. Mm. Most of them, to be honest. Mm. I'm sure everybody has heard about Heartbleed. Uh, the internet's broken and we all need to change our passwords is, is the summary of it. The services I expected to hear from were the ones that we have heard from before in relation to passwords. Oh, like Adobe, you mean? Well, Adobe were hacked and it was a bad one. You know, they, they did have uh, information stolen. This at the moment is a theoretical threat. But Adobe did send me an email, afraid it was far too little and far too late. And the way they went about it wasn't great. You know, every time I logged in for about two weeks, I had to change my password. So I must have done it about four or five times easy. It wasn't a great experience. But what annoyed me was, and it wasn't Adobe, it was Evernote that really annoyed me. They used the fact that Adobe had been hacked as an opportunity to bash Adobe. So they sent me an email. This was November in 2013. And it was a long rambling email to the effect of, you know, it started off with there were published reports recently of a security breach at Adobe and it may have exposed private information, including passwords, email addresses, blah, blah, blah. And on it went, on it went, really having a go. And it said, um, the list of compromised Adobe accounts has been uploaded to the Internet and we compared this list to our email addresses and found that the email address you use to register for an Evernote account is on the list of exposed Adobe accounts. And then go on to say Evernote has not been compromised and is not connected to this incident. But if you have used the same password for Adobe and Evernote, you should now change your Evernote password. And on it goes about how to do that and all the rest of it. Now, you could say, well, they've checked and, you know, they've checked against their records and they found your email address. They're being cautious and very kind, letting you know. The only thing was they didn't mention the fact that six months earlier they had had a security incident and lost 50 million logons. Funny that, isn't it? It is. I don't remember that. But. No, they didn't exactly have clean hands themselves. It was March 2013. And um, I'll put a link in the show notes to the story about that. But what they did was they did exactly what Adobe had done and did a, a forced password reset. So don't be sending me emails criticising another company when six months earlier it was you. You wouldn't have been too happy if Adobe was sending me emails criticising you. So I wasn't impressed with that. Uh, I think the first one you got was Ustream, wasn't it? 
the first, in fact, I think the only one I've had is Ustream. I forgot I had a Ustream account, actually. <laughs> so you weren't logging in anyway. You were in no danger no. at all. No. But my colleague was asking me about it um, the other day. He uses LastPass. And he he actually made two two comments. One was that he's realised now that he uses uh, a similar password or the same password for a lot of services. Criminal. Which I know I used to do, but no I know longer. you did. I remember us taking a holiday and resetting the lock. We did. Ah, do we know how to live? Yes, the sort of things we do in a holiday. Yeah, geek, geek holiday it was. And the other, it's always a geek holiday. Um, the other thing you wanted to know was, would it be possible to go through uh, every website um, and get it to generate a new password and then store it in LastPass? But no chance. Not automatically, no. no. It's it's a manual process. You, I don't think you'd want it to, really, would you? No. The scope for that coming crashing down. But at least he uses LastPass. Begs the question, why was he using LastPass if all the passwords were the same? <laughs> True. So he's got one LastPass <laughs> password to access a whole list of passwords that were the same. Yeah. But bless, at least he's trying. <laughs> I'm assuming he's now sorted himself out and he has lots of different passwords. I think he does, yeah. I hope so. And there's lots of ways that you can actually generate, you know, good passwords. Obviously, there's one password. Uh, I'm assuming LastPass does the similar kind of generation thing. I'm guessing so. I have one called W uh, no PW Generator, so Password Generator, uh, in the, from the Mac App Store. It was free when I got it, and I thought, oh, I'll just try this. It doesn't look as though it does much different to 1Password, to be honest, and it isn't integrated with 1Password. But it is very configurable in terms of what you can do with it. So I do use that from time to time. Um, you can create a password recipe with it, so you can say, you know, X number of numbers and characters certain length you can actually say to it you know i want to use this for and then it will say to you well you should use this length and stuff like that so uh, pw generator is uh, one that i use there's also xkpassword.net so uh, that that does uh, phrases that works on a whole different system where it, where it generates phrases which you might just be able to remember but you mentioned the point of it's okay generating these passwords that you can say you know where it says make it that you can speak it kind of thing, yeah. make it pronounceable. But you just couldn't remember th th as many as you would need. Yeah, that was my point. Well, I also think there are still passwords that you need to know and that you need to be able to type. Yeah, but why Why not just use one password or one of the others? Because of the number of times they're needed and where they're needed. So for me in particular, I've probably got two to three that I, I feel I need to know and I need to be able to type them. Uh, one is my Apple ID password because, you know, when you go in and you're updating your apps, yeah, it, it asks you. It asks you on the desktop, it asks you on the iPad. And if I've got to stop and then go to 1Password and type in my 1Password password, go and find the password, then copy it. I've forgotten what I was doing. That could just be me, obviously. I think that's just you. No, no, it's not. I'm telling you, it's not. So I do like to be able to type that. Another situation where I've needed to do that, you know, when you go into the Genius Bar and they're either replacing kit or fixing kit or you're buying new kit and you need to put in your password. Yeah. Well, what do you do then? You can't copy and paste it. You've got a new device and you're stood there and they're well, activating it. You stand there with your iPhone with one password going tap, tap, tap. Yeah, you're the you're the kind of person that's in the queue that everybody behind you hates, aren't you? Yeah, but I've got a secure password. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, that's why I, I like to be able to type my uh, Apple ID. Another one that I need to be able to type is my Microsoft ID, because when I updated, um, I had a VM and I wasn't in the slightest bit concerned about security. I think you created it actually, didn't you? I certainly didn't install it. You created it, handed it off to me, yeah. and there had to be an account on it. So you, you like you, you have an account on your Mac. This Windows box had an account on it, and I think it was admin. And the password was password. <laughs> <laughs> Don't think I'm giving away anything there. Yeah, the password was password because there's nothing on it. You know, I use it for testing purposes. There's nothing there. I wouldn't even have had it ask me for a password if I had enough knowledge to know how to turn that request off. I would have done. But what happened when I did the 8.1 update was it, it jiggery-pokered with it, didn't it? Jiggery-pokered. In naughty yes. ways. Oh, it did. It kept the same account, 
but it linked the account on the machine to a Microsoft ID. And now when it when you boot this VM, instead of logging in with your, you know, like the equivalent of your short mm. username on a Mac, it asks you to log in with your Microsoft ID. Ergo, I have to be able to type it. Now, yes, I could go back to one password on on the Mac and copy it. And it's easier just to be able to type it. Um, it's also now my Skype ID as well. So I need to be able to type it in there as well. So those two in particular, but also things like Evernote, you know, like you at work, you don't want to have to keep whipping out your iPhone to type in a huge random string True. of things. You just want to be able to, you want a good password, a long password, but something that you can type. And of course, this is the problem with the number of changes that you're going to have to make at this point. If I have to change the ones that I already remember, it'll be a complete disaster. And of course, they recommend don't reuse them, make sure they're all unique. And this is the problem. If I have to do that, I'm going to forget the ones that I had. So I'm not looking forward to that. Um, but like you told your colleague, um, don't reuse them and don't use the same one for everything. I probably shouldn't say this, but I can't remember my Microsoft account password, but I can remember yours. Oh, that's <laughs> handy. <laughs> I don't think you know mine. You thought you did, but I changed it. When did you change it? I changed it to make it more secure. Um, originally, all I was using that account for was uh, my certification exams. And that's the only reason that I had a Microsoft ID. And then when I looked at it, you know, when we had the holiday and we did the password. Thing, of the geek holiday. Yes. The geek holiday. I looked at it and I thought, that's pathetic. Um, it wasn't too bad. There were capital letters, lower letters, there were numbers in it, but it still wasn't brilliant. It certainly wasn't long enough. So no, I, I don't think you do now because I went in and changed it. Okay. It's much longer and it's got all symbols in it and all sorts now. Right. So you don't know yours and you don't know mine either. If one password ever fails, we are so we are so lost. So, uh, yes, best advice, don't reuse passwords. Make sure they're all unique for each site. Um, very secure. Random. I, I use the generator. I don't tend... Do you know when I actually have to sit down and think, now I need to make a password that I can actually remember and type? Mm. I really struggle now. Yeah, I just use the generator. Yeah, so I just use the random generator thing. Um, best practice, use a, pass, a password manager of some description. Doesn't matter what, as long as it's secure. It did make me seriously think about the benefits of the two-factor authentication though I'm, i've not really been a fan of that I'm, I'm more concerned about locking me out you know anybody else could probably get into my account but if i turn the two-factor on will i get into it that's what worries me uh, we've said before haven't we there's other things that you can do to protect yourself like having a low limit credit card that you use for online stuff i did a quick calculation you know as i was thinking about where where i've got what cards and um We've got multiple credit cards now, haven't we, that we use online? We have. We've, we've got the two, but we also have other credit cards that we don't use online. So if any one of these cards got hacked, pretty much they're only used in like one or two places every month. So it really limits where it could have happened. I think if you've got one credit card, you'd never find out, would you? No. So I think we had eight or nine at the last count. Uh, another one that, ca that came to me uh, a few weeks ago when I got the new Mac... Remember every time I buy something from the Apple store, I have to use a credit card because I don't have a credit card on the account. And when I do, it adds it to my account. Yeah. We've discussed this we before I and I hate that. Um, I make doubly sure whenever I buy something from the Apple store, because the credit card that we've got that we use online, there's no way I could afford to put an iMac on it. The limit's about one, one and a half. I think so, yeah. You can't put a Mac of that price on it. So I have to use a proper credit card with a horrendously high limit. So I make sure there is a checkbox and it used to be checked by default, you know, add this to your account. I think now they've they've switched it back, which is great. So now I don't think it does, but do double check that because otherwise that credit card's on your account and then it's too late. That's why I recommend using vouchers for stuff if you can, um, including Google. So I've got a Nexus and when I bought my Nexus, they gave me something like £15 credit. And I think I've still got about £8 of that left. <laughs> but I was thinking the other day as I bought something, you know, if I need to buy something more, I think I'd go and get a voucher. You can get them from like Curry's and Boots and the usual places. I think I would use vouchers wherever I could just so I try and limit where my credit card is used. I also took the time with my credit card to put it in one password and then make a list of everywhere that it's in use. So that that's pretty useful as well. And generally just be safe out there. It's dangerous now, isn't it? Very dangerous. 
Yeah, so uh, n- not the best week for security. But um, I'm not, I've not changed all my passwords yet. I'm trying to wait for them to get in touch with me and say it's okay to change it now. Because the thing is, if you change it too soon and then you memorise it and then you find out that they then email you and say you've got to change it again, I'm going to be lost. Yeah, do it once. So it's going to be a good few weeks, I think, before they all get round to it. But I do think, it, seen as though this, you know, it's made the BBC news and, and they're not that technical, are they? So... It's so out there. I think every service online should email you and tell you where they're up to. And they've certainly not done that. I'm quite surprised and somewhat disappointed. But let's move on. And you heard from Angela, didn't you, this week? I did. She had a great question. Angela said she has recently bought a MacBook Pro and it's her first Mac. She's used PCs at work for quite a while, works at a college. So uh, very happy to get an educational discount on her MacBook Pro. Um, She has an old version of Photoshop at work, but she doesn't own any version of Photoshop herself. And she was looking at buying it and it came as quite a shock to discover it's a subscription thing. This was her words. It's a subscription thing now. And uh, what she wanted to know was, is Pixelmator or something else really as good as Photoshop? Funnily enough, actually, a couple of other people recently asked the same question on uh, Yammer at uh, our place at work. I find it's a perennial question. Even if I'm I'm running a course, you know, some online sessions on Photoshop, I will get questions about Pixelmator, uh, particularly Pixelmator, but on occasions, you know, other little apps. And um, it, it's always along the lines of, you know, the price difference is so huge. Is the feature difference as big? Um, so we thought we'd have a look at it. Well, first of all, there is um, a limited time offer which is for Creative Cloud Photoshop Photography Program. I still think that's a ludicrous name, you know. It's a tongue twister. Every, you know, I've seen them mention it, and every time somebody mentions it in one of their sessions, they trip up over the name of it. Oh, the Photoshop teeth. Photo- yes, you, you loan them out. Photoshop Photography Program. Um, it was a limited time offer, but it's been so popular and it's been on a while, they keep extending it. So your first option, if it's Photoshop that you want, is this uh, Photoshop photography program, which is subscription. It's the latest version of Photoshop Creative Cloud, so Photoshop CC. But you also get Lightroom and um, Bridge. So you get Lightroom desktop and you would qualify for the Lightroom mobile, which we'll talk about shortly, service. You get 20 gig of cloud storage and a Behance Pro site, which I can't remember how much that was, but it was a paid for thing. If you're not in Creative Cloud, you can have a Behance Pro site, but you do have to pay for it. Now, the only problem with this is, apart from the fact it needs paying for, it's uh, you do need an annual commitment, but it is billed monthly. So they don't give you a huge bill at the beginning of the year. They charge you monthly and it's £8.78 pence which I don't think is bad for what you get. I do realise if you stop paying, then you stop getting the service. But it's not actually that much more expensive if even pennies, pennies difference between that and uh, Photoshop Elements. So that's not at all bad. If you didn't take that offer, but you just wanted Photoshop, that costs more than twice as much. So it is a very good deal. Now, the Creative Cloud standard subscription, which is where people start gulping at the price, is £46.88 a month for new members. But there is a perennial upgrade thing at 27.34 if you have anything that you can upgrade from. And people do say to me that is horrifically expensive. I mean, what do you think of that price? It's not cheap. It's not. But I would say I know people who, who turn around to me and say, you know, whoever they're with, so, you know, Virgin, Sky, whoever, fill in the blank, have put up the price of my TV subscription this month. And I say, really? And how much is it now? And I've been told in the last couple of weeks from various people, anything between about £80 was the cheapest. Somebody said 92 and somebody else said 100 and odd. I thought, you've got to be joking, for TV. By comparison to that, £46.88 is not bad. It depends on your priorities. When you think about what you get for it, I mean, I would be, I am horrified at the the thought that anybody would pay over £100 a month for TV. Good grief, what's on? I think how many box sets you could buy for that. I'm just not in that world at all. I know when we first met, you had a Sky subscription, didn't you? I did. And it was 
about three, four pounds yeah, I think, it, I think it was free for Sky Sports. It was originally, but then when they brought in a cost for it, it was really cheap, wasn't it? Yeah. I'm sure £3 rings about. Something like that. 3 to £6, something like that. And you thought to yourself, oh, it's not bad. You know, you, th- you compare it to the price of one ticket to one match and you tell yourself it's a bargain and, and you go for it. But, you know, by the time we got rid of Sky, it had gone up to £30, £40. Something that, like that. That was my limit. I thought, you've got to be joking. No way. Now, I know that included all the sport, all the entertainment channels and all the film channels. But there's a limit to the, to the amount you can watch. And we just went cold turkey with it. Got rid of the TV, got rid of Sky, n- didn't look back. So, you know, if, if TV is your thing, then you'll, you'll pay that for it and you'll be happy with it. But this might be somebody else's thing. And I don't think the price of it for what you get is that bad. It, it when you say the amount, £46.88, you're horrified. But when you think of what it includes, if you're using this in your business or you're using this to make things that you are then selling or selling services to clients, it's not that bad. Because of what it includes, you get Photoshop, Lightroom, Bridge, Dreamweaver, Illustrator, InDesign, Premiere Pro, Audition, Story, Muse, Edge, all sorts you know there's lots of little things that are in there and there's lots of big applications that's like just the tip of the iceberg that i've gone through there and don't forget adobe flash you get flash as well yes it's still going imagine that might actually put you off but there is a lot in there i think the thing with it was when they brought it out that was the only subscription and it was too much people didn't need all of it some people might need InDesign, others might be doing video work but you know I don't think there were many who thought, yes, I'm going to use every single one of those apps, which is why the photography programme was a very, very good idea. They should have done that from the beginning. And that has proved incredibly popular. So that is an alternative, but I would say you would only go for that if you were a pro or, you know, maybe you're doing video editing work with it or something. So I don't think you would have to use all of those apps to make it worth the price that it is. But I do think it's probably beyond a hobbyist. It would be for somebody who was working with that professionally, which is where Elements comes in. Uh, Photoshop Elements is still available. It was updated not long before Christmas. They don't seem to be mentioning Elements anything like as much as they used to. So I can actually see them dropping that. Yeah, I never really got on with Elements. The problem with Elements was it was originally it actually looked quite like photoshop it just had fewer tools and if the tools that weren't there like 3d and and smart objects you know you weren't using anyway then you would never miss them and to look at it it looked like photoshop so if you could use photoshop you could use elements you know all these magazines and books that are out for photoshop you could probably you know with a few tweaks use those tutorials with elements But then they radically changed it and they made it into one of these workflow based apps, which is fine as long as what you want to do with your image is what it wants to do with your image. Now, there was an advanced mode um, where you could turn off this help based thing. You know, these workflow based things are pretty much like, um, you know, I want to refocus my image and you go through the equivalent of a wizard and then end up with something hideous, probably. But what most people tend to want to do when they say to me, I don't like this, they want to turn that off and go into advanced mode, which does have a completely different interface. But like I say, I, I'm not seeing them push that that much. But if you want to pay once and have some software, then Elements is an option. But as uh, Angela pointed out, the one she specifically mentioned was Pixelmator, which has got to be these days the number one alternative to Photoshop if you're on a Mac. Um, Pixelmator is awesome it is very very good by comparison you know what she's saying is what's missing you know can i get away with pixelmator pixelmator is great it can read photoshop files and it can maintain the layers in it so that when they added that feature meant that and i've recommended this to people who have said i've got photoshop at work and i've got a mac at home and i want to work on it but i don't want to pay for photoshop you could put pixelmator on your mac and you know your your own personal Mac and carry on working with Photoshop at work and swap the files. No problem at all. Photoshop can't open Pixelmator files, but Pixelmator can open Photoshop files. And um, I'm sure it's been cheaper than this. I, I recall it being about £10.49, but its proper price now is twenty ninety nine. Uh, in the App Store, and it is App Store only. 1.5 Tweetbots. So by comparison, 
even though the subscription isn't overly expensive for the Photoshop program, the Photoshop photography program, you could have Pixelmator for $20.99, which would only be two months access to the photography program. So if you like owning your software, then I would say Pixelmator is a very, very good alternative. What isn't there in Pixelmator is really just the advanced features, I think. The other alternative that I really like is Acorn. That's from Flying Meat Software. Uh, it's usually around the £50 mark, but at the moment, and I don't know how long this is on for, so if you're listening to this straight away and why wouldn't you, uh, and you are in the market for a photo editor, give Acorn a look, because at the moment it's on special offer for $14.99, which is a great price for it. And like Pixelmator, it's very, very capable. And it is a good alternative to Photoshop. Um, I have both. I find that there are features in Acorn, uh, particularly things like filters, that it Acorn has that neither Pixelmator nor Photoshop have. I'm thinking, remember that demo I did where I, I used um, created a cartoon? It like pixelated an image yeah. into a cartoon style. Yeah. That isn't in the other two options. So, you know, the, it has features all of its own and it is a very capable application. It also uses, uh, it too will edit Photoshop files and it has similar kind of features in terms of brushes and things that are also completely interchangeable. So um, they are both really good, strong alternatives. I sometimes wonder that given the price difference, whether these others are really limited alternatives. You know, kind of you, you get what you pay for. No, they're not as limited as the price might suggest. Um, they are more manual in how you do things. So Photoshop is, uh, it's got more of a history. So, you know, it's been around for over 20 years now. And what they've done is they're now finessing a lot of the features. Whereas these applications, you know, you can do similar or even the same jobs, but in a more manual way. They've got less really, really advanced features. So, you know, I've just mentioned smart objects. That, I mean, the smart objects in Photoshop are awesome. But if you have no use for them, then you don't really want to be paying for them. And 3D elements. I mean, I have used 3D. But have you noticed I only really tend to use 3D in a demo? True. 3D in Photoshop, to me, is like columns in Word. They demo well, but who uses them? Obviously, if I had a need to do something 3D, then I would use it, and I would. But I don't think it's something that you use on a daily basis, especially not if what you're doing is editing photographs. In that respect, both of them are very, very capable. But I'd also make the point, you know, if you're a photographer and you've got no need to get overly creative in terms of taking something and turning it into like a Salvador Dali. You know that, um, oh, who did that thing? You'll know. You'll know. Will I? Oh, was it Andy Warhol? That that green, that thing with the four images. Yeah, I think that was and the, the very primary colours. That that, that style. <laughs> if you're trying to do something like that, then you know you're going to need something like Photoshop, Acorn, Pixelmator. But if you're a photographer and you just want to enhance images, then to be honest, you might be able to do without Photoshop completely because the more work you do in the camera, the better the image will be. If you take the time, set the camera correctly, you know, and, and think about, you know, all these features they've added to Photoshop where you can adjust the perspective. Yeah. Why don't you just move the camera to the right place? Good thinking. It's like when you take a picture of the dog, you know, if you take it, stood up looking down at him it's not going to be, have, be as impactful as if you get on the floor and have it looking up at him i mean i've done that myself i've put the camera on the floor and had it tilted up move the camera don't don't just think oh snap 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 and i'll fix it in photoshop because some things you would be able to improve but no the, the more work done in the camera then the better the image and photoshop doesn't make you a great photographer i mean i've had people come on sessions and sort of say I uh, bought this fantastic camera, etc. Um, got these pictures, and you think, good grief. Um, you make Photoshop fix them, and you think, well, if you'd set the camera correctly. So you can rescue mediocre shots, but you'll never make a silk purse out of a sow's ear, as they say. If you've got a terrible, terrible shot, you're not going to turn it into, into a champion-winning thing in Photoshop. You're just not. So... Um, you could possibly do without Photoshop and rely on the sort of more limited editing capabilities in something. I mean, even iPhoto does repairs, doesn't it? You know, like red eye stuff. Yeah. Basic things like that. Aperture certainly does um, and seems to, well, for everybody but me, it works marvellously. I might try it on the new machine, you know. 
I'm always tempted to give myself, <laughs> give myself more work. I might, I might try it. And that Lightroom does that as well. So, uh, but I'd say get it right in the camera first and then make the decision, you know, do you really need that kind of creativity? I actually use image editing software in a different way. I use it for creating graphics for things like my blog and my newsletter. So things like um, for the Excel training newsletter, a thin green line, for example. Well, that's the thing. I mean, we, we mainly think about Photoshop in terms of photo editing, where you can do sort of the basics of photo editing and then more advanced. But asset creation, I don't tend to use Photoshop Pixelmator or Acorn for that. If I'm making assets for something, unless it's photographic, so pixel based, I would use Illustrator or Sketch because then I can scale them. And that is often very important. You know, somebody says, I want it 50 pixels wide. And the next minute they want it 300. And I don't want to go in and recreate the whole thing. So I do those in vectors. Uh, for me, photo editing is, like I'm saying, the basics, the more advanced, and then the creative adjustments. And as I've said, the differences between them are really the really, really advanced features like you're talking. I think you could use something else to make those graphics you're talking about. But I think you're probably more comfortable in Photoshop because you're just more familiar with it. Guess so. Um, there's also this aspect of, um, you know, in quotes, I use Photoshop. Bragging value. Yeah. <laughs> like, I know how to use Photoshop. True. When we used to go to computer fairs, how many people did you hear in the queue saying just that? Mm, exactly. Exactly. And they could probably, like, use the clone stamp and may maybe crop it and that's it. The other thing with um, these apps is, which is one of the things that's missing from the alternatives. There's the supporting apps that you would probably be interested in using. If you've got um, Creative Cloud, any kind of subscription, it includes Bridge. And the photography one and the main Creative Cloud also include Lightroom and Lightroom Mobile. Now, I've mentioned this before, but Bridge is one of those apps that is awesome. And the problem is, if you go the Pixelmator route, you might be in need of something to replace Bridge. There's very little in, viable, in terms of viable alternatives to Bridge. What Bridge does is it's a photo viewer. So it is not, it can focus in on an individual image, but really I think it, it, its power is in looking at a whole folder full of images and letting you browse them quite powerfully. I actually think Earthen View on the PC set the standard for image viewers. You remember Earthen View? That was View? a great little app. It, it's still free. It's amazing. Yeah. It's an amazing app. Bridge is very similar to Earthen View. But even something like PaintShop Pro had a fantastic image browser built into it. I remember when I was on the PC, I had Photoshop and I also had PaintShop Pro. And if, if what I wanted to do was look at images and pick some of the best to work on, I'd open them in PaintShop Pro and use the image browser because at the time, Photoshop didn't have an image browser and there was no such thing as Bridge. Um, as I say, there's very little in the way of something that is a good, strong alternative to that. There is a photo browser in Pixelmator. Um, it's a nice start, but let's say it needs developing. It's a little panel and... Yes, you can make it bigger, so you can make it the size of your screen if you want, but it is very limited. Yeah, I didn't even know there was one. Exactly. It's hidden away, and it is just a panel. It just looks like, you know, you know when you open a panel like the layers palette? Yeah. You don't think, oh, I'll make that much bigger and, and things like that. So you've got this tiny window. Yes, you can make it bigger, but it's limited because it can only access certain content as well. It does give you the thumbnail view that I'm talking about, but... You can access the pictures folder and subfolders within it on your main Mac. You can access iPhoto content and you can access aperture content. But other than that, no. So I had a folder full of images and what I wanted to do was, was you know, pick one of them from a window. So I thought, oh, there's a photo browser. So I opened it and I was quite disappointed that I couldn't get it to point at my folder full of images unless I moved my folder full of images into the pictures folder, which wasn't where I wanted them. So I like to browse my images at file level, really, file system level. I don't really want to add them into iPhoto, into the library metaphor, to just look at them. I just want to look at them and then pick one to work on. That's exactly how I want to do it. Um, I have used Bridge once or twice where I've got a lot of pictures to go through. What I tend to do, I must admit, is just pick a folder and use Quick Look. Just hit, hit the space bar and go down through them. 
I have done that, but, you know, I, I would probably use Bridge, to be honest. What I have found, though, is that there is an app. Uh, it's not completely new, but relatively new. It's called Pixar. It's very different in concept to Bridge. Now, the benefit of Bridge is that there is no library in, in Bridge. Bridge views the images in your finder. So no library, no adding them in, no double management is what I would call it. You know, when you add in your content to iPhoto, but you leave the images maybe in a file system somewhere too, and then you've, you're managing them twice over. No, it's not library based at all. There, There is a caching element in Bridge. It will cache the thumbnails and that will just, it only does that to speed up going back to a folder full of images. So if I've got a folder full of you know 2000 images, it will cache thumbnails, which will let me go back and look at them very quickly, but it's not a library. So I don't have to import them and all of that. Pixar was built to be library based. So very similar to iPhoto in terms of a library system. It also has project based organization. So in that respect, it's similar to Aperture, but uh, popular demand requested that they add live folders. And what live folders do in Pixar is you can drag and drop a folder from your file system into the live folders section and you will be able to view the files in your file system without manually adding them to the library and then having to manage them within Pixar. So the files continue to live where they live and they are referenced from Pixar, which that adds some of the benefits of Bridge to it. You would have to add the folder as a live folder, but you wouldn't have to add the contents to another library. And as I say, it's been around a while. It's been available for at least a couple of years. And I've looked at it and really seriously thought, I wonder if I could use this, you know, because I could see the way they were going with Bridge. Bridge CS6 was awesome, but Bridge CC, they took away some features that were really important for me. So I was looking for something else and that's why I keep returning to Pixar and having a dabble with it. But um, now they've added this live folders, I'm just about to put Pixar in place for a specific um, upcoming project that I'm working on. So um, I will be putting that through its paces much more than I have done up to now. And this live folders, I'm hopeful I'll have better results than previously. Yeah, I'd actually be interested to see how you get on with that. It does sound better than Quick Look. I will return when I've tried it. What she means is she'll return when she's broken it. What about Lightroom for managing files? Yep, I've heard that said before as well. I guess you could. But Lightroom is really a digital darkroom solution. I personally wouldn't use it for anything other than photographs. I have used iPhoto in that way, where I've created a new iPhoto library for a specific project. And then I've put in the images I want to work with. But being honest, it does drive me mad. And I don't think that would be viable without iPhoto uh, Library Manager. So what I've done in iPhoto, I want to have the ability to drag and drop images. Uh, in this case, it's for MacBytes. You know the chapter markers you have for your enhanced podcast? I do. You've got to drag and drop those in at the right place. Um, I could have them in the file system, but then I can't see them. I've just got like, you know, tiny little thumbnail thing. I'd like something a little bit bigger. So I added them into iPhoto. Um, but as I say, if I don't have iPhoto Library Manager to flick between the libraries, and I don't consider that chapter markers for MacBytes belong in with my holiday snaps. To me, they're different types of assets. Have you um, got holiday snaps? Well, no, but that's not the point. I've got a few. You all right, pictures of the dog. OK, geek holidays. You know, I take pictures of Apple stores. Um, I just don't think they belong together. To me, they're separate projects, completely separate projects. So I'd have them in different libraries and then that drives me insane. Um, but yes, Lightroom is part of the photography programme, this £8 odd one. And uh, this week they have introduced Lightroom Mobile. Everyone got rather excited about that. Did you go to iTunes and actually look at it? No. I made that mistake. I did. The icon in iTunes was, uh, on the day of release, completely shocking. I don't know what, what they'd done. But can you imagine that you've, you've created your XML file for your podcast and you've used the wrong artwork? Got a picture of Aunt Maud there in, instead of MacBytes. Uh, it looked like they'd used the wrong image and it was a Lightroom icon, but it was quite small and on a black background and pushed to the right-hand side. And it was the first thing that struck me. I thought, you've got to be joking. Is that the icon? Um, it was completely shocking. It wasn't as bad when it was installed, but trust me, it couldn't have been that bad. 
Don't know if they've fixed that yet. Have a quick look. They might they might have fixed it. You never know. Um, it is a free application, so it's not one of these expensive things, but you're going to like this. It's like Office for iPad. You do need that subscription to make it work because um, there's also, there was also on the day that that was released a new desktop version to make it compatible. The good news is, do you remember Adobe Revel? Revel. Revel, yes, exactly. Revel. Revels, yes. the sweets. Mm. Uh, that was terrible. That was a paid-for thing, wasn't it? A I don't bouch. remember. I just remember it was called Revel because we discussed it on MacBytes. We made fun of it, is what you mean. Yes. It, it was worth making fun of. It was terrible. I think it was around 80 to to £100 a year. And um, ultimately, it was doing a similar job to this. I, I think it's still there, but oh, good grief, don't bother with that. Similar in concept, but what you now need to do, you need this subscription, you need the desktop version, you need the mobile version. And then what you do is you can sync from the desktop to the iPad or from the iPad to the desktop. So if you're out, it's, it's bi-directional this, if you're out and you've got some images on your camera card, you can pop that into the camera connection kit, put them on your iPad, start working on them, and then that will automatically sync with the desktop version. And it does that wirelessly, even remotely. I'd say it's a great, great start um, for working mobile with a digital darkroom solution. Yeah, but I can't see how that would work with like huge raw files, like 30 gig or whatever. I think you mean Meg. Do I mean Meg? Whatever. <laughs> you probably mean Meg, but yes, it can certainly eat into the storage on an iPad. Uh, how it works is it uses image previews. So if we think about going from the desktop to the iPad, you import your images into Lightroom and it generates image previews. So like I was talking about bridge caching uh, thumbnails, what this does is it generates these image previews, which are much, much smaller than, than a 30 meg raw file. Uh, and then it uses something similar. I'm sure we've talked about this. Sidecar files. Heard the name. Sidecar yeah. files used to go with, with um, digital images. So you have an image file, you have a sidecar file. The sidecar file has the instructions in it for the changes that you've made to the image. The idea of them is it's really supposed to be the future of image editing where you're not editing the files directly. You're generating a list of edits to be applied to that image. So in that respect, it's non-destructive to the image. So, you've tried it this week? Uh, as I said, great start. It works really well. I don't know how it would cope if I tried to sync 10 years worth of images. But the concept sound, and I think if you're working on a smaller job, you know, a specific job, maybe like a wedding or something, and you're only transferring those images to maybe work on mobile and then transfer back, then I think it would do a great job with that. It would be fantastic for portfolios, keep your portfolio up to date. You could work on that. You could actually add images while you're on the road and then sync it back. What surprised me was that Adobe got there before Apple. Because if you think about it, it would work in a similar way with Aperture, surely. Yeah. Well, I would say maybe Adobe's introduction of Lightroom Mobile would give Apple a push in that direction. But we've known about this being on the cards for 12 months and there's still nothing from Apple about Aperture at all. Not we're working on it, not we're thinking about it. There's a new version, nothing. And I do find that very strange. So alternatively to giving Apple a push, maybe a smaller company will create something awesome to link with Aperture. I mean, gone are the days when there was little or no competition to Adobe products. I remember a while back, um, 2007 probably, uh, no one would have taken the time and money to create something like Pixelmator because everyone used Photoshop. So I think at the time, I remember reading, you know, Pixelmator's coming out. Or there is a new app called Pixelmator and it'll take on Photoshop and it's really fast and it's this and that. But you looked at it and you thought, yes, but by comparison to Photoshop, it's quite basic. It's very much a version one product and everybody's going to use Photoshop anyway, so why would you bother? Um, obviously, we're now in version three of Pixelmator and um, it, they were right to bother because they've carried on with it and, and they've developed it and added a lot more features to it. It's probably now very similar to an earlier version of Photoshop. So maybe not, you know, the whiz bang, it does x-rays and 3D and all sorts. But you remember Photoshop around version 5, version 6, not CS5 Vaguely. and 6, the original version 5, version 6. I mean, incredibly powerful. So 
it's probably akin to that. The other thing with it is it isn't even just the software. It's the ecosystem that builds up around it. And I, I did wonder whether Pixelmator would survive because if you think about Photoshop, there's plugins, there's books, there's training. It does build up a whole ecosystem around it, doesn't it? So if all the training is for Photoshop, then you know, people are going to use Photoshop because they're not sure how to use something else mm. like Pixelmator. And talking of training, you've got a big announcement. I have. Yes, very excited to release a whole course dedicated to Pixelmator recently. Come on, give us the juicy details. Well, it's called Introduction to Pixelmator. It's a video-based course and... Um, it's not for me. I created it for um, Envato. Right. So how did that come about? Well, I'd done a few Pixelmator videos uh, for YouTube and I'd also done some live sessions and the recordings were available. So um, the content manager from Envato approached me to create a whole course. Um, Envato are a collection of creative sites. There are tutorials, there's marketplaces. It's very community driven. Um, so, it, you know, if you want, I've heard a lot of people buying uh, images from there. There's um, Audio Jungle. There's a whole range of these sites. They're all very tightly integrated where you can buy assets. And obviously, if you're a creative, you can create assets and sell them via these marketplaces. So uh, as I say, it's very community driven and they've already got lots of courses on Photoshop. But um, as the discussions progressed, they were saying that they were getting increasingly lots of requests for stuff for Pixelmator, training on Pixelmator. What, for experts? No, uh, they wanted to start right at the beginning. So introduction. Um, so everything from installing Pixelmator, configuring it, what it can do, the basics of uh, image editing, layers, masks, file management, all that kind of stuff. So how did you decide what to cover? Um, you have to go through a whole process of creating an outline and then refining that. So the course covers, I'd say, almost all the features, but not to the depth of being advanced. So I talk about layers, I talk about masks, I look at the basics of them, but don't go beyond that into like the really advanced stuff. Um, but it's a it's a matter of refining it and, and sort of picking the right topics that, that you think, you know, will fit in with what the ethos of the course is, which in this case was introduction to Pixelmator. When did it come out? Uh, end of March, so last week in March. So I've had great positive feedback. So uh, if any MacBiters have sent that, that feedback, that's fantastic. How long did it take you to create? Tell us about the creation process. Oh, I could do a whole show on putting a course together, but I'm not going to do that today. Um, overall, it took a few weeks. It's an iterative process, really. You get the idea and then you've got to move on to like the next video. So you sort the first video out in your head, move on to the next one, and then you've got to make sure that what you're thinking of doing fits in with the rest of the course. So each time, like I say, iterative, each time you think, okay, next video, does that fit in with the videos I've just done? Do the concepts I'm going to talk about fit in with the future ones? How do the demonstrations run through it? And then once you've done that for like video two, rinse and repeat, it's the same for video three, same for video four. As usual, you'll appreciate this. Doesn't creating the assets take forever? Certainly does. Mm. Yes, with such a global audience as well, you've got to think about what's appropriate, what, what might not be appropriate. I don't think MacBytes humour might go down awfully well, do you? I don't think so, no. I have to be serious, then I've put my serious head on. Mm, great shame. Uh, then there's the recording process as well. I hate the Boeing Mafia, incidentally. There isn't a blade of grass that is safe in this neighbourhood, is there? No, it's not just the mowing mafia. The guy across the road's forever doing his car. That's true. He, uh, It's a wonder there's a car mm. left. It's like a grinding thing, isn't I don't it? Know what he's he's doing. doing the rust on it or something. It's actually quite difficult when you're trying to record, you know. It's like a modern thing, that, isn't it? You know, in days gone by, I think everybody used to garden on a Saturday or Sunday, and now no one can be bothered gardening at all. So they pay a gardening company to do it, and that would be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday during my working week. Mm. Or am I feeling persecuted? No. No, it's true. It's true. And they come round with these mowers, and they're not like, you know, ye old mower of old. Oh, no, these things are like industrial flamethrowers. So uh, yeah, that can be rather annoying. So uh, a lot of work went on at night, which is fine for me. I don't mind working at night. So once you've done the recording, you then got all of the editing process, and you need to process those videos out to the final product. So how long is this course, then? Uh, yes, it was supposed to be between two and two and a half hours. It ended up over three. 
got a lot to say. So we're over three hours in 10 minute lessons. So about 26 lessons in total. Interesting stuff. Now, better let the writers know where they can find it. I will put a link in the show notes. Um, it is for a service called Tuts Plus Premium. It is a subscription service. What isn't subscription services these days? You'll be subscribing to buy a box of tea bags at this rate. Yes, it's a subscription service. It is um, you can either choose an annual or monthly fee, and it gives you access to their entire library. And there's thousands of videos. Unusually for these services, so if you think about Linda, if you pay to join, you get access to the content. But once your subscription lapses, you have no access to the content at all. Unusually here, you can download the videos and you can keep them for offline use. So if you subscribe, you know, all you can eat for as long as you've got your subscription, but what you've downloaded, you can then play afterwards. Um, so the monthly fee is $19. The annual fee is $180. Uh, now, two of the videos are free and um, the length of those videos gives you almost 30 minutes for free. So, uh, as I say, I'll put a link in the show notes. And uh, if you're not interested in the rest of them, you can always watch the free ones. Excellent. And have you got any plans for another one? Oh, you know me. I'm always planning something. Watch this space. That's why I need a working Mac. I'm in the middle of something like that and half my screen goes black. Not the best time for it to do that, you know. It's not, no. Well, I got a sneak peek of preview of, of, of the whole course and I can say that it's brilliant and I'm not being biased. Not much. No. Well, congratulations, Elaine, and here's to your next project, whatever that may be. Thank you. Well, something coming up rather immediately is that I've got a live session on Thursday night uh, on Photoshop. So Photoshop text magic, all the things you can do with the text in Photoshop. And probably beyond Photoshop as well, if you're using Pixelmator or Acorn, you can take these tutorials and pretty much do the same in those as well. So it's the 17th of April at 8pm at UK time. I shall put a link in the show notes to that as well. But that is it for this episode of MacBytes. As always, we would love to hear from you and we have heard from so many of you. It's fantastic. Keep it up. So uh, you can send your questions, comments and queries by email to macbytesuk at gmail.com. Use the contact form on the website or take a leaf out of Dave's book and send us an audio file. You can leave a comment on the show notes at macbytes.co.uk and you can send us your love bites. They will, they will be coming back, promise. Leave us a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook and circle us on Google+. You can sign up for the newsletter at macbytes.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash macbytes. You can follow me personally on Twitter at twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. You can follow me at twitter.com slash Thomas Mike. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash MacBytes series. But until next time, this has been Elaine and Mike bringing you MacBytes. Goodbye. Goodbye and see you next time. Brace yourself. What for? A tirade of expletives. The mowing mafia are back.